Hello, and welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Dave Baxter, uh, the Deputy Personal Finance Editor, and joining me today are Victoria Hasler, Director for Research and Consulting at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research, and Personal Finance Editor, Leonora Walters. Investors have tended to focus more on equity markets than other asset classes in general, but this year, bonds seem to be back in fashion. UK investors put around £6 billion into bond funds on a net basis in the first half of this year. In contrast, they withdrew a net £2 billion from equity funds. Victoria, this rush into fixed income might seem a bit unusual at a time when equity markets have been racing ahead. Um, Why do you think investors have been going so heavily into bond funds? Hi, Dave. So I think there are a number of reasons why investors could be buying bonds right now, but they probably largely boil down to a general sense of growing unease about markets. Equity markets have indeed raced ahead this year and valuations are starting to look pretty stretched, particularly on some of the more traditionally defensive stocks. I think investors are also aware of the growing political uncertainties surrounding things like Brexit and Mm. trade wars. And many people are starting to reduce the risk in their portfolios and increase their bond weightings. And I guess one interesting area of this kind of interest in bonds has been in the government bond space. Uh, And if you look at performance, they've done quite well. They did quite well last year when equity markets fell. And this year, they've continued to perform pretty well. But if you're considering getting that exposure now... Uh, what should you keep in mind? Yeah, you're right. They've done incredibly well. So they were one of the very few asset classes to be up last year. Mm. And UK government bonds are up over 10% so far this year. Mm. And that's, I think, particularly surprising when you take it in the context of recent history, with government bonds having been rallying for 20 years now, give or take. I guess what this reminds us is that just because something is expensive, it doesn't mean that it can't get more expensive. Mm. Yields are at very low levels, which has put a lot of investors off buying government bonds. But so far, that call has been wrong. Whether or not it's wrong going forward remains to be seen, of course. Mm. Let's talk a bit more about negative yields. So um, negative yielding debt, by at least the latest calculation I've seen, comes to something like $16 trillion dollars. Um, That's not just government bonds, that's also some corporate bonds. Um, What does that mean if you're a bondholder? And do you think that's just a a temporary phenomenon or do you think it's going to carry on? Yeah, I saw a great chart from Goldman Sachs recently that suggested that nearly 30% of global government bond yields are now negative and over 80% of bonds issued by governments yield less than 2%. So... I mean, I think this has to be a temporary thing. Bond yields mm. surely can't be negative forever. But that doesn't mean that it's going to end anytime soon. I think fears of a slowing global economy, as well as political uncertainties and the possibility of more QE in Europe, are likely to combine to keep bond yields at relatively low levels for a while yet. There's even talk amongst many experts that we're becoming like Japan and maybe mm. ultra low yield world for many years yet. So... What does that mean if you're kind of considering these these bonds? And if you say you want diversification, you're worried about equity markets, um, should you still 
be investing in government bonds? I think this really depends on your views. And there are two camps on this. So the first would suggest that such low yields result in very asymmetric risk and return profiles on bonds with limited scope for positive returns, but a lot of negative risk in there. Mm. Um, and they would, those people would say that now is not the time to buy bonds. The second camp is slightly different and says that we're entering a period where both growth and inflation could remain low for a very long time and that bond yields could be suppressed for many, many years to come. So that's kind of the Japanese scenario, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, in that scenario, bonds are likely to remain a safe haven asset and should provide a ballast to portfolios when equity markets sell off. So if you're in the first camp, then you should probably steer clear of government bonds at the moment and maybe look for diversification in other places, perhaps absolute return funds or real assets or even cash. Mm. If you're in the second camp, then having a reasonable allocation to high quality government bonds as a kind of insurance policy, if you like, probably makes sense. And unfortunately, I think investors are going to have to decide for themselves which camp they fall in. (laughs) But the good thing is that there are plenty of fund managers out there in both of those camps, which means that investors should be able to find a fund which fits with their views. And say you're in the um, kind of pro-government bonds camp for now, and you're looking at it from a a fund's perspective, Mm -hmm. what kind of funds um, should you be considering? There are obviously different ways to, to be getting that exposure. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there are there are several ways you could tackle this. I think um, strategic bond funds can often be a good bet for investors who want to outsource their asset allocation, perhaps. So, mm. you know, you're not totally sure of your views. You don't want to time the market. Um, but investing in a strategic bond fund means that you can allow the manager scope to express their own views and hopefully then they can kind of do that asset allocation for you at the right times. Yeah. So the important thing there, though, is to make sure that you're investing in a fund where the manager's views and yours align. So, for example... Um, Invesco, well-known company, Mm. are very much in the kind of bonds are too expensive camp. And as a result, they've got very low interest rate risk in in their funds at the moment. So that basically means little exposure to government bonds. Um, They've got a strategic bond fund called the Tactical Bond Fund, which absolutely plays on that view. Yeah. on the other hand, the retail fixed income team at Janus Henderson believe really strongly that we're in a Japan-type world of very low yields for a very long time. And consequently, they've got a fairly significant amount of interest rate risk, including a chunk in government bonds in their strategic bond fund. So those two funds will appeal to very different investors. And you do really need to do your research in this space and make sure that you understand what you're buying and the risks you're taking on. Mm, interesting. And what do you think, I mean, we've been looking partly at this, the uh, strategic bonds, you know, what what they can do, what the pros and cons are. Some people think that that's basically too expensive a way to be getting, for example, government bond exposure. So how about as an alternative, say, going through an ETF or something a bit, bit purer? Yeah, you can, you could definitely do that. I mean, I think what you need to be aware of there mm. is that They, I mean, there are different types of ETF, of course, but the most common kind is one that tracks an index. And most of the government bond indices have quite a lot of interest rate risk. Mm. So if your view is that we are in that lower for longer 
yield environment, then that might be a good way of accessing it. If you're in the other camp, however, it's probably not going to be a great a great play at the moment. Yeah. Okay. And um, let's turn away from uh, diversification and look at, I guess, another quite prominent investor needs, um, income. Lots of people still look for yield, which is increasingly scarce. Um, should you be considering things like high yield bond funds, emerging market debt funds, or you know other funds of that kind? Um, I think again, it depends on uh, on your needs and your tolerance for risk. So both high yield and emerging market debt can be really attractive options for income hungry investors. Mm. And for many people, they'll be a great solution. But both of these types of bonds carry quite significant levels of risk. So you do need to consider it quite carefully before you buy. Um, Yields on high yield are not as high as they used to be, but nevertheless, they do offer premiums over higher quality bonds. Mm. They're likely to be more volatile, though, and they're usually more highly correlated to equities, which means that they won't offer as much in the way of diversification benefits as higher quality bonds. Yep. They can also be less liquid at times, although that's not clear cut. And sometimes liquidity is actually better in high yield markets than in investment grade. Uh, emerging market debt is different again. So whilst there are some pretty high yields on offer in the emerging markets, investors need to consider a whole different set of risks. So things like currency fluctuations, which can be pretty severe in emerging markets, Mm. and political risk as well. And obviously the latter has been highlighted recently by the problems in Argentina. Yes. That's probably a topic for a different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And um, what about strategic bonds again? Um, Is is that a good way to sort of go for the riskier kind of income play? Yeah, I think strategic bond funds can be a great way to access markets like high yield and emerging market debt because you outsource that asset allocation decision to the manager, Mm. which should mean that he or she can move in and out of these parts of the market at the right time and also control the amount of risk taken. Um, there's a huge range of strategic bond funds out there, though. Mm. So, you know, quite defensive funds with cash plus objectives, something like the BNY Global Dynamic Bond Fund, um, right through to those focusing on delivering a higher le- higher level of income. So something like the Artemis High Income Fund and everything you can think of in between. <laughs> it really is a very, very diverse sector. So it's important to think about what kind of outcome you want from a strategic bond fund and then to identify a fund that can help you to meet that outcome. And if you're not an expert on the sector, then it might be worth seeking some financial advice there. Yep. So it gets to your research one way or another. Absolutely. Um, and I guess another question is about bonds more generally. Um, so if we're talking about yields, uh, you can still get quite decent yields on equities. Mm. Um, UK particularly has something like a 4.5% yield at the minute. Um, does that does that mean bonds are basically redundant from that perspective? Or? Well, I mean, it's true that equities offer very good yields at the moment. And whilst that can be attractive and a lot of investors are benefiting from it, equity income strategies are not really a substitute for bonds. So for a start, the dividends paid by companies are variable. And whilst they offer good yields now, there's nothing to say that companies will keep on paying those levels of dividends. Mm. And I think that's particularly true if we enter more difficult economic conditions. Um Bonds also serve to diversify portfolios and historically they've tended to do well when equities are are performing poorly. So investors should think quite hard, I think, before switching all of their bond exposure to equities. 
it might be the right strategy for some, but it certainly won't be for everyone. Mm. I, I guess we've seen a few uh, kind of high-profile dividend cuts in the last uh, last year or so, Vodafone and a few others. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And you know, as I say, if 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 your view is that the economy is starting to slow, I think we probably have to expect that to mm. speed up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, we can't talk about bonds without um, going into the classic bond investor concern, which is liquidity. For many years, people have talking about lack of liquidity in the bond market and this this worry that um, if you get into a period of stress and volatility, you simply won't be able to easily buy and sell things at the right price. Um, is that something you're worried about? Is that a valid concern? I think it's a valid concern. Absolutely. Um the problem with liquidity is it varies quite a lot between different types of bonds and also depending on which day you ask the question. <laughs> so government bond markets, which we've been talking about a bit, on the whole, are some of the largest and most liquid in the world. So investors really shouldn't be worried about liquidity there unless they're buying very niche government bonds. Liquidity in other parts of the market varies. And unfortunately, it can often deteriorate when you need it most. Um, that's often the way with things like liquidity, I'm afraid. <laughs> so, I mean, my view would be that investing into a well-managed fixed income fund rather than buying bonds directly could help you with that because fund managers are very close to the market and they know current liquidity conditions far better than you or I. That means that they should be able to manage liquidity in the fund as much as possible. So like with any investment, it's probably wise not to put all your eggs in one basket so, for example, if you want to buy corporate bonds but are worried about liquidity, it's probably a good idea to buy a couple of bond funds at least yeah. and to look for funds which are relatively well diversified and where the manager is cognizant of liquidity issues. I should also add that, as with any investment, you should be prepared to hold an investment in corporate bonds for the longer term and that hopefully will help you to get over some of those short-term liquidity issues. I mean, the good thing about bonds is that they will, at some point, mature and provide a natural source of liquidity. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, thanks very much for that. Um, also, see this week's big theme feature um, in the fund section for my full report on why investors have been using bond funds and some of the pitfalls you should watch out for. Now, turning to another asset class, um, this week we've also been looking at an investment trust due to launch that will invest in real assets. Leonora, what's this new trust and uh, what would you say are its selling points? Like the um, investment trust in question is uh, JP Morgan Global Core Real Assets. And this is going to focus on investing in infrastructure, basically, um, as well as some of assets. I mean, it's going to go for things like global transport assets, mm-hmm. um, utilities, airport power generation, but also some real estate investment trusts um, and global liquid real assets. Um, it's a fund of funds. So although it's going to have exposure to around 500 underlying assets, it's actually going to invest in other funds run by JP Morgan rather than directly into those assets. Yeah. Uh, now, the interesting bit, it is going 
to target um, a net asset value total return of between 7 and 9% a year once it's fully invested. Uh, and this includes a target dividend yield of between 2 and 3% in trust first year, rising to between 4 and 6% once it's fully invested. So it's an income vehicle, could be attractive to um, income investors. Um, and it's also going to try and be a lot less volatile than equity. Uh, the target is a steady income of less than two thirds of the volatility of global equities. Mm, interesting. I mean, real assets has been a very popular area, and you've uh, I think you've alluded to some of the some of the reasons there. Um, are there any other kind of useful traits that you'd you'd highlight? In that asset class? Yeah. I mean, I said it was income. So, yeah, obviously, mm. it's going to one lot of investors, because they're income investors, right? Um, it's going to be particularly useful because, I mean, um, infrastructure assets, um, you know, they're not just income generators. Some of them, uh, say some of them, not all of them, um, actually have inflation linkage. Yep. So if there's a rising inflation, if there's rising interest rates, if ever, um, <laughs> they, um, they can protect against this, which um, obviously um, sort of like, you know, kind of like fixed rate bonds can't. So for example, Many infrastructure assets can have an explicit link to inflation through regulation, concession agreements or contracts um, and real estate rental rates in many properties tend to keep pace of the cost of living increases. So um, it could be, you know, provide an income and perhaps even, um, you know, a I suppose a secure income, um, you know, thing, things change. Mm. Now, another reason, you know, why it's been popular and perhaps might be of interest to investors is, is obviously diversification. And we've just talked about bonds, yeah. which are the traditional go-to area for diversification. As you said, have a lot of reasons why you should still continue to do that. But there are concerns and there's no reason why you can't diversify away from equities with a number of different assets rather than just bonds. So you could consider some exposure to infrastructure. Infrastructure, particularly unlisted infrastructure, is obviously not on a stock market, so shouldn't be highly correlated to equities. And it, it, I mean, it should be a lot less volatile. You know, mm. it's not listed. Some of this is government linked, you know, it's essential services. I mean, whatever happens between people will still want to go over bridges or I don't know, or, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, get a glass of water or something. So, you know, they, they sort of things that, you know, possibly could uh, hold up or continue to yeah. go on through something like a recession. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so that all sounds very good. Uh, but to play devil's advocate, is this a unique offering or are there other kind of investment trusts that already focus on that? Yeah, kind of space? I mean, well, I think sort of like more generally, there's actually lots of infrastructure mm -hmm. funds. Mm -hmm. Narrowing it down to UK listed investment trusts, there's actually between 15 and 20 existing infrastructure mm. investment trusts. Now, these focus on a wide range of assets, um, including UK private finance initiative schemes and wind and solar yeah. So I guess the inevitable question there is, um, why does this trust stand out? Sort of what's differentiating it from the, uh, the competition? Well, I mean, there's quite a few different things here. Um, I think, number one, it, it's, it's far more diversified. It's invest globally. Now, not all, but quite a lot of the existing investment trusts 
focus on the UK assets. So, for example, UK PFI and PPP schemes, mm. UK solar parks, UK wind farms, maybe with a bit in continental Europe or elsewhere. But, you know, it might be something like a 70 or 75% allocation to the UK yeah, uh, yeah. with a bit abroad. This is going globally. Um, I don't know how much it's going to have in the UK, but it sounds like, you know, the UK is going to be a small part of the overall. So a lot more diversified. I mean, the ultimate exposure is to 500 underlying assets, which is a lot more mm. than... Um, the um, existing trusts typically offer. Um, a big key difference, um, which may be good and bad, is this is a fund of funds. It's not directly investing. Now, that's great because obviously that's how it gets diversification. That's why it's going to have exposure to maybe 500 assets. On the other hand, you aren't getting direct exposure to those underlying assets. You're going through two layers, which means two layers of fees in effect. Yeah, JP yeah. Morgan's projections on the cost don't sound that high um, because of in-house funds assume there might be uh, hopefully they'll, they'll keep things low so it might not be too bad even though there's you know obviously it's a fund or fund structure another key difference is that um, some of the assets this investment trust are going to invest in and I say just some I think it's just a small proportion are actually going to be listed real estate investment trusts um, whereas a lot of the existing um, investment trusts they go directly into real assets, mm. you know, like wind farms or PFI schemes, which aren't listed um, on equities, don't have that correlation, whereas real estate investment trusts are listed equities and therefore have equity market volatility. But again, this is just, you know, a small part of it. Mm, interesting. Um, and I guess just talking more generally about some um, closed-ended funds, um, they're usually seen as quite a good, sensible way to get exposure to liquid assets, um, like, for example, property and so on. Uh, but are there any drawbacks, anything you should be aware of if you're going into this kind of fund? Yeah, I mean, well, one of the key ones and one of the key sticky ones over the years of the existing trusts has been the premiums to net asset value. Um, these investment trusts typically offer a very attractive income, possibly linked to inflation, diversification of equity, with some of the risks of bonds. So no surprise, they're very popular. What happens when an investment trust popular it shoots up to a premium to net asset <laughs> value, which basically means its share price is way higher than the assets it's own. So if you buy into it, you are paying more than the assets are effectively worth. Um, these vary, uh, but at the moment they're quite high. And I looked this morning, and most infrastructure investment trusts on double-digit premiums to NAV. So quite expensive. I mean, obviously, some trusts and assets typically trade at premium, but double digits quite high. I suppose the question is, if it's like you know, if it's on a high premium like this, well. Does that mean it can only go one way and that's like down? You don't want to buy in at a high premium, then it sort of falls down, the share price falls. So that is something to consider. Obviously, we don't know where this new investment trust is going to be because it's not even launched. Um, I suspect with an income target like that, I wouldn't be surprised if it did move up to a premium, but you know, maybe yeah. hopefully not to um, a double-digit one. So yeah, there's certainly that to consider uh, with these investment trusts. A, a premium's not a reason not to buy. I think what you have to look at is, is the premium, you know, high relative to its history, relative to its peers. Because, mm. you know, if it's a slight premium, perhaps lower than a premium in the past, then fine. Um, but, you know, if it's kind of historically high, then that's something to consider. Um, another problem of infrastructure investment trusts is that one of the reasons to invest in infrastructure is that these assets aren't correlated to equities and should be less volatile. 
But the point is these investment trusts, they're listed in the stock market. You don't buy the NAV, you buy into the share price. Yeah. And it can be that, you know, while the NAV um, is, you know, relatively stable, doing things nicely, the share price of these investment trusts moves around with the markets rather than with the NAV. So if markets are volatile, then the share price, aka what you have, is volatile. So effectively you don't have a you, you don't have a, you know, kind of stable holding, even though the underlying assets are stable. So it's not a guarantee of less volatility. And um just just a final point, typically any fund like this that invests in, you know, something a bit more unusual, real assets, it's very likely to have an ongoing charge that's higher than a mainstream equities fund. So uh, potentially attractive, but definitely something to to bear in mind. Yeah. So. Okay. Thanks very much for that. That brings us to the end of today's show. Do look at this week's Investors Chronicle or the website at uh, investorschronicle.co.uk for more coverage on real assets and how to approach bond funds. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.